I think I've told this story before at least once. After high school, some friends of mine and I went on a camping trip up to a lake in Canada, and we went on a, a hike that my, my friend remembered that there's this beautiful lake just off the trail a little bit off this one point of the bigger lake. So we took a boat over there and we get out and we go to find the trail to, to Crystal Lake, this beautiful, serene, untouched Canadian wilderness lake. So we're following my friend's memory and we start down on this trail, finds this trail, it's pretty big, pretty obvious. And about every 30 minutes or so, my friend would say something like, I thought it was closer. <laughs> We, I could have sworn we would have been there by now. I thought it was closer. He kept saying, I thought it was closer. Four hours later, we arrive at a dead end, a, a bramble-filled bog. The trail just dead ends in. And by this point, of course, we are well aware, we know that we are lost, that we have been on the wrong path. But why did we stay on the wrong path? Because it was wide and obvious and easy. Like, it was like 10 feet across. So where else are we going to go? That way or that way? And we're sure not going to go back because we know we're, it's just a little further. We're going to keep, keep going. We just thought we couldn't be lost. We're on this path. But, of course, we were lost the entire time. We were lost the entire time. Look at me here in Isaiah 30. We're going to be focusing on Isaiah 30, 15 for this Sunday and the next couple Sundays. But I want to make sure that we get some of the context here, put it in the proper perspective. Isaiah 30, verse 1. A stubborn children declares the Lord who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin. They set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction. They're going to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. What was Israel doing, right? They were just going on the easy, wide, obvious path. And they thought because it's easy and wide and obvious, we're just going to go on it. And we don't need to consult the Lord. We don't need to look around for a map. We don't need to inquire of the Lord or ask Him what He wants us to do. And so they go down here and the Lord says, this is going to take you someplace that you're not going to want to go. This is going to end up with you being ashamed and humiliated. Sometimes in life we find ourselves in places and on paths that really seemed right for a long time. But they're not. They're not right. So have you ever found that you are not where you want to be in life? Has that ever dawned on you? I'm not where I want to be. And the really sad news is that the path that I'm on is the thing that brought me here. I'm not where I want to be. And the path that I've been walking on is what brought me to this place. What are you going to do then? What are you going to do then? This is a question that confronts us at all different stages of life, at all different ages. Are you where you want to be? Probably not. And your path brought you here. What are you going to do next? And so let's look at Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the Lord is inviting Israel to do. It's what what the Lord is inviting us to do as well. When we come to that bramble-filled bog at the end of a wide, obvious, long path that we thought in just a couple more minutes we're going to arrive And we don't. 
This is what the Lord says. The Lord God, the Holy One of Israel says, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. We're going to be looking at those words this Sunday and the next two, in part because we've just finished a study of Isaiah, and this is really, I think, the overarching invitation of the entire book of Isaiah, to return to the Lord, to rest in Him, to be quiet before Him, and to walk with Him in faith. But also in part because this is an extremely personally helpful verse. I have prayed this prayer and recited it to myself thousands of times over the last several years as a reminder when I am uh, just underwater with anxieties or fears or, or plans and making, I got to do this and set goals and how am I going to accomplish all these things? And I feel overwhelmed and I remember this verse. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. It's a very important, very important verse. And the big idea for this Sunday, the big idea for this little miniature series here at the end of our book of Isaiah is that the Christian life advances by a series of stops. The Christian life advances, it progresses, it goes further faster by a series of stops. By stopping, you will go further faster. And the first stop is to return, to stop going your own way. So let's look at Isaiah thirty fifteen for just a minute and just, just do a little bit of Bible study on it before we reflect on this word return. Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. Now, he is talking about that initial salvation that we turn to Jesus for, to be saved from our sins. But he's talking to people who are already in a relationship with God. So it's not just saved from the penalty of your sins, but also saved from, if you look at verse 5, everyone, he says, comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, this, this plan that they have to go down to Egypt, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. God is not just wanting to save you from the penalty of your sin. He wants to save us from that which does not bring help or profit, but brings shame and disgrace. He wants to save us from the foolishness and our sinfulness and all that that path is going to bring upon us. He wants to save us from those things. And then it goes on and says, and in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Strength for the problems that, you're, that we're trying to deal with without reference to God. The problems that we're trying to address, that we're trying to fix, that we're trying to solve, we're not going to be able to because we we, we do not have the necessary strength. And so in quietness and trust, God will give us what we need to address those problems. That's the invitation here. That's the promise. Now, one other thing I want you to see in the context. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. Now turn with me to Isaiah 32. At the end of Isaiah 32. Because I want you to see that we're... uh, The extent of the section that we're in, because I'll probably be, over the next couple weeks, addressing different parts of this text. But if you look at the very end of Isaiah 32, let's pick up in verse 15. Some of our Bible nerds out there will uh, recognize this verse as quoted by the apostles in the book of Acts. 
Isaiah 32, 15, until the Spirit is poured out from us, uh, upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quiet and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. I love that, in quiet resting places. So the invitation to returning rest, quietness, and trust given back in chapter 30, verse 15, is now he's, he's seeing that when, in chapter 32, verse 1, the king comes and reigns over his people and the spirit is poured out on us, then we will be brought back into a place where peace, quiet, uh, rest, trust reigns. The, these are the only two places in the Bible where this, those groups of words are used. And so this is our section. And what it reveals, especially here at the end, is that returning rest and quiet are a sequence of things. They're a sequence that describes a life increasingly brought under the reign of Jesus, a life increasingly lived with his spirit. And, and so it functions as, as an invitation as well. Do you want to live more as if Jesus were reigning over all things? Do you want to live more as if His Spirit was with you as you address all of the different complicated, subtle, big, small, intricate things in your life or less? Do you want to live like Jesus is less a part? Of Of course we want to live more like Jesus is in our lives. And that is what these verses are inviting us into. The goal of returning rest and quietness we see back in 3015 is that we shall come to a place of trust, this quiet resting place that he describes. Why do you go on vacation? Right? Why do you want to retire? Because you want to finally enter into that quiet resting places. Retirees, is that what uh, awaits us all? <laughs> Lots of smirks and nods. Right? We're not going to get there by our path, our plans. It's going to have to be a work of the Lord. And the work of the Lord is to bring us to a place of trust. Trust is the goal that this passage is inviting us into. And this is very important for us to uh, appreciate just as we begin, right? What God wants for us is to trust in Him. The prophet Habakkuk, quoted by Paul and the author of Hebrews in the New Testament, says this very, very, very important phrase. My righteous one shall live by faith. Like the person that God looks at and says, they're doing it right, they're living by faith. The one who's doing it right is living by faith, is living with an awareness of God, awareness of my need for God, and then actually relying on God. Meaning things like prayer, things like obedience, instead of just going our own way. And that is the experience of a quiet resting place, of living life, following God, being led by God. So returning rest and quiet describes a journey. And this is what the word returning implies, right? That you are someplace, wherever it is that you are, and you're going from there to this other place. You're taking a journey for everybody, for the people of Israel, for us today, from self, self-will, and ultimately failure, to a place of grace and ultimately flourishing. This is the journey 
that we want to go on. For Israel, it was always this journey of uh, going from Egypt or going out of exile back to the land of promise. Back to life with God that was going to be this place of trust and this quiet resting place. And for all of us, we're invited to go from uh, what the psalmist describes in Psalm 63 as a dry and weary land. Do you ever feel like that's where you're living? A dry and weary land. Too little butter spread over too much bread. A dry and weary land where there is no water. We're being invited now to return, to go to another place. To go to life with God. Life with the Spirit of God by the work of Jesus I'm so thankful for Kyle's uh, opening monologue. Is that what we call it? That's what they call it on SNL. What do we his, his welcome to the uh, service this morning on gratitude. Because I really didn't have a lot in here, but one of the things that, I, that we need to just say on the front end here is that we want to return from the dry and weary land to Jesus because Jesus is really good. Singing about him is really appropriate. Gathering in his name to learn more about him is really appropriate because he is so good. And God is so great and his grace is so sweet. And this whole sermon could be a different sermon in that direction. But I just wanted to make sure that we said that, that we are so thankful for Jesus. And that's what makes this returning work. We want to get back to appreciating, to living with Jesus, to this life of trust. And so we need to return. We need to return. Return, return, return. A very important question as you begin a hike is what kind of hike is this going to be? What kind of hike is this going to be? My friends and I thought that the hike that we were on was going to be about a half mile at the most and then a lot of swimming. So, you know, what we packed for our hike was a brisk iced tea for everybody and one bag of trail mix for what ended up being a seven to eight hour hike. So it's very important that you figure out what kind of hike you're going to be on. What is the, the Christian life, what kind of a journey is the Christian life like? And, and sometimes we think that the Christian life is just this journey where we just, need to, we just need to use our will, we just need to just make that decision, and that will just solve all our problems. I just need to, I just need to decide, I just need to... That will give me victory over all these things. There's this victorious moment where I go to some religious service or some, some conference thing and I go forward and I just, mm, just plant my flag and, I, and then it's done. And it's all, right, it's all downhill from there. Has that been your experience? Right, we, many of us have had situations like that. We walked away feeling like, now, now it's all going to be better. Now I've, I've done the thing that needs to be done, but it wasn't. It's very important as we begin this journey, as we are in the midst of this journey of the Christian life, to know that the Christian life is a series of journeys from wherever you are back to Jesus. And it's a very important perspective to have because otherwise you're going to be discouraged and you're going to quit. Hey, is that what happened to you? You thought the Christian life was going to be this instant victory over that sin, this instant victory, this instant, uh, I just give my life to God and he just answers these prayers for me? And then it didn't work out that way, and then now you're kind of bummed out, and, this, and your Christian life is like, I'll go to church, but I'm kind of bummed out. I want you to understand what the Christian life is. It is a series of returnings. right? We need to understand that because of the sins in our life and the sins of others and the folly that's built into our lives and our limitations, because of these things, at best, at best, the Christian life 
is going to be punctuated by seasons of return. Experiences of being lost and scared and tired and overwhelmed and then coming to our senses and then coming back to Jesus. And then again, realizing that we're lost and scared and tired and overwhelmed and then coming to our senses and returning to Jesus. That's not what it is at worst. That's not what it is for slackers and lazy people and slow people. It's what it is at best, friends. For anybody who's a sinner, tends to folly and lives with limitations, which is all of us. The Christian life is at best this thing. So how do we get to where we want to be? The answer of Isaiah 30, 15 is you need to stop going your own way. Very important verses for this morning. Look with me again. I just want to read them and and touch back home here in Isaiah 30, verses 1 and 2. The stubborn children declares the Lord to carry out a plan, but not mine. I love plans. But is it the Lord's plan? Verse 2, they set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction. How often are we making plans? Am I making plans? It's not the Lord's plans. And I'm not asking Him for direction. Verse 9, they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. And then I go to chapter 31, verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they're many and horsemen because they're strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Do not consult the Lord. Do not seek His instruction. What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will direct your path. How are we going to get where we want to be? First, we have to stop going our own way. Now, sometimes, sometimes we stop going our own way because we have a debilitating experience. Have you ever had a debilitating experience? You wake up and you realize, oh my goodness. Or somebody shakes you awake and says, oh my goodness. You need to stop this. I need to stop this. Sometimes we, we are stopped by life. And sometimes, and this is what I'm hoping that this little short series will help accomplish, sometimes we stop uh, deliberately. Sometimes we stop deliberately. And Isaiah 30, 15 is inviting us, is asking us, is calling us, God's people, to build into our lives and to invest in, to prioritize deliberate reflection, which is so much of a happier experience of returning to the Lord deliberately than to do it after you've been two by four by life. We want to reflect deliberately on our path and our location. Now this series on Isaiah 30, 15 is coming from a, a sort of a personal sharing. It's coming from our study of the book of Isaiah, but it's also coming in one sense as a preparation for my extended sabbatical. I'm, in June, July, and August, I'll be away from the regular duties of the pastorate here. I'll still be involved in the work of the church, but we're going to have different preachers coming in, and, and uh, Tony and Brian and the deacons will be taking on a little more of a heightened awareness with regards to the life of the church. So I want to talk a little bit about this extended sabbatical and, and make sure that we understand what it is and why it is. Why it is important for me as a pastor, but also why it is really important for us as a church and for the flame of our church and our faith, as we talked about at the very beginning a few minutes ago. So let me just speak briefly about this this morning. Why is it important for this extended time of deliberate reflection 
on my place and my path, and our place and our path as a church. Well, first, let's just think, what are pastors? You ever thought about that? What, what's a pastor? <laughs> I, I didn't think about it for a long time. Right, because you mostly get into the thing you're doing by you just you're just told what it is. Right, you're just told do these things, go do that, do that, do that. What is a pastor? Now, when I'm talking about pastors, I do just want to be very clear on this point. This is like a little biblical nerd point you might think, but it's actually pretty important. We believe that the Bible teaches that there are two offices in the church: elders and deacons. And elders go by a couple different names in the New Testament: elders, pastors, overseers. Now, some different traditions will break that out into like bishops. I wish I was in a bishop's kind of place, you know, <laughs> that'd be kind of fun. Bishops or like cardinals or all, they have all these different like kind of subgroups and, and overseer groups. And we see that all of those things are actually the same thing in the New Testament. Now, the pastor is the one of the, what we call the pastor, you could call, some churches do this, called Pastor Tony and Pastor Brian. But we call the, the pastor, the guy, the one of the elders Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 5.17, who labors at the word and teaching. So that's that's kind of the, the New Testament idea of what is the, the preaching elder, the teaching elder. But what are pastors? Which is a really interesting question for us to wrestle with as Americans because everything in America is kind of sort of up to you, right? It's up to self-definition. What kind of pastor do you want to be? Well, what are you, an introvert or an extrovert? Um, are, are you ambitious or are you, do you need to rest? There's all sorts of different things that go into people sort of describing what they think a pastor is. But as I've been reflecting on this now for 14 years in this church, I realize that the one essential duty, the one essential thing that makes up a pastor, that, that defines what a pastor is, is that a pastor is to protect the centrality of Jesus for his church. To protect the centrality of Jesus for his church. There's a lot of different things that a pastor does and activities and, and, and things that we need the pastor to do for us. But at its core, I need to be the one to rely, who, who is reliably, I can be counted on to reliably bring the centrality of Jesus into our life on Sundays, into counseling situations, into uh, programming decisions, all of these things. Right, when churches go astray, when Christians go astray, which is not a matter of right, if, but when. We see this from the very beginning of the church, right? the Galatian church that Paul writes to, the Corinthian church that Paul writes to, the Ephesian church that Paul writes to, and Christians in those places. We, we go astray. Personally, we go astray as churches. When we go astray, somebody needs to be counted on to be able to reliably recall what matters most, when it matters most. And when things are taking their ordinary course, it is easy to forget what matters most. It can be hard to remember that. And so because that's what a pastor should be, pastors also need to then model a Christian life shaped by the gospel. Because I am just as much a sinner, just as much a fool, and have just as many limitations as the rest of us. So I need to be a model of returning rest and quietness so that I can be an example of reliable faith in the Lord. We've been looking at our Wednesday night or Wednesday midweek devotionals about sharing faith with each other and how our faith can light and encourage the faith of others. This is what we need the pastor to be. He needs to be a model of this thing. But instead of being a model of returning rest and quiet, most pastors 
are not that. Because, and let me, just, let me just pull back the curtain for a second here and let you understand something. Most of us, we want to be respected. We want to uh, justify ourselves in your eyes. We want to appear su- successful and validated. We want people to say, you're a great pastor. Our pastor's a great pastor. And so how's that going to be? So we avoid anything that is going to put our perceived value at risk in the world's eyes or in the eyes of worldly people. So we cannot, in American culture at least, we cannot sacrifice productivity. We have to be productive, right? The greatest, the the essential American sin is to not be working hard all the time. Harder and harder and harder. One pastor who was reflecting on this pointed out that uh, if he broke any of the Ten Commandments, any of the, the other of the Ten Commandments, he would be immediately released from his pastoral duties. Right? Like if every Sunday I came up in here and I had a new fit, right? I had new, new clothes on and new shoes and, and I was just looking really fresh. Every Sunday you'd be like, where are you getting all this stuff from? And you're like, don't worry, I'm stealing it. <laughs> They're like, are we paying you too much? You know, like, you, no, it's okay, it's okay. I'm stealing all of these things. You'd be like, you can't be, you, you, know, you can't do that. You can't do, you, you can't be the pastor of our church, right? You wouldn't be like, oh, praise the Lord for that because we're just launching an online ministry and your old stuff wasn't cutting it. You know, I'm so glad you're doing this now. That would not be the elder's response to that situation. And yet this, this pastor pointed out that uh, the more we break the commandment to, uh, to rest in the Lord, the, the Sabbath commandment, the more we break that and ignore that, actually the more validation pastors get, right? Because you're working really, you're a hard worker, and we're just so proud of you. And pastors want that. We love that, just like everybody wants and loves that. But what we're doing when we say that to pastors unwittingly, when pastors enter into that transaction, we're saying what we value in a pastor is one who ignores the revitalizing work of returning rest and quiet. What we value is a pastor who ignores his own relationship with the Lord and just works and works and works. Because that's something that we respect. That's something the world respects. So, Sabbatical time is a time for focused, intensive, returning rest and quiet so that I can be that reliable person of trust for our congregation to serve us. Now you might say, well, that should just be a natural part of your work. And I wish it was. And a little bit of it is, but not to the extent that I wish it was. The reality is that being a pastor, the, the rhythms of a pastor tend to create a growing deficiency of returning rest and quiet. Which is, let me just be very frank, which is why so many pastors fail. Right? You you hear all these stories of pastoral failures. They're not bad people. Nobody gets to be a pastor because they want to siphon off money from the church or because they want to be unfaithful. They, They get to be a pastor with a good heart, but there's a growing deficiency of rest, quiet, and trust. And the pastoral rhythms, at least of the American church, make those things grow over time. So I'm not going on a sabbatical because I've earned it. 
I'm not going on a sabbatical because I deserve it. I'm going on a sabbatical because I need returning rest and quiet. And I'm willing to risk your validation. But I know every time a pastor goes on an extended sabbatical, some people are upset by it. And that's okay. You can be upset by these things. But I want you to know that I need this returning rest and quiet. I need the work that Isaiah is inviting Israel and us into so that I can come into that place of peaceful habitation and I can bring that to your life here on Sundays and as we interact throughout the week. I want you to know that I am submitted to these truths and I want to model this and to be an example for you in the hope that perhaps you too will ask yourself, where is there returning and rest and quiet in my life? When's the last time you repented? When's the last time I repented? When's the last time I was genuinely quiet to reflect on what has been happening in my life? It's been a while. Let's talk about returning then. What does returning Involve. What am I going to be doing on sabbatical and what would I like to invite you to consider bringing into your life more as well? Returning involves, if we use our hiking image, it involves, first of all, admitting that we're lost, right? The, the five of my friends and I, for four hours in one direction, we're all saying, I think, it, well, just, let's just go past this next hill. Let's just go past this next rise. I'm sure just around that corner, right? We should probably do that. It wasn't until we hit the Bramblefield Bog that we were willing to admit we are truly lost. Admitting you're lost and then turning around, right? So the first thing involves is reflection. If we look here in Isaiah 30, verse 9, describing the people of Israel, it says that they are a re- rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. Lying and unwilling to hear. I don't want to hear this. I'm committed to this Foolish path. They say in verse 10, to the seers, don't see. To the prophets, don't tell us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Keep telling us that what we're doing is okay. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us no more hear about the Holy One of Israel. We need to reflect. You'll notice these words throughout Scripture. Words like remember. Words like consider. Words like examine. Examine your life. Consider your life. Remember the things that the Lord has been doing. We need to reflect on these things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How's that going? What is in your heart? What does your heart long for? What does your heart ache because it doesn't have? What's your heart? Your soul, your life. What is the direction of your life? What's your trajectory? Are you being defined by things in your past? Are you, are you completely living, fixated on things in the future? And what's in your mind? Right, right now, the world is holding out to us a lot of things to completely preoccupy our minds with that have almost nothing to do with following Jesus. And what is our strength being given to? What is our strength being given to? We need to reflect on these things. We need to do the work of vulnerability, honesty, memory, being vulnerable to the Lord, being honest before Him, and remembering things. In the recovery community, they call this a doing a complete inventory. 
What has been happening? Here's a question. What has been invisible to me? What has been happening that has been invisible to my eyes? The, uh, the agrarian essayist, poet, fiction writer, Wendell Berry, who I'm a huge fan of, he talks about how he, he grew up in this farm in rural Kentucky, and at one point in the last couple of years, it dawned on him that all the willow trees seemed to be doing badly. The, the, the river at the bottom of the, the farmland used to be just covered by willow trees. And there's this beautiful, picturesque row of willow trees all the way down as far as you could see. And he, he, he took a trip down there and he realized that there's willow trees dying and there's no young willow trees growing. And he starts asking around, what happened to all the willow trees? And nobody knows. The scientists at their universities don't know. The farmers don't know. But nobody even noticed it. Nobody even noticed it except for him. Because he was paying attention and he was reflecting on these things. What things have been happening? What are the willow trees in my life, in your life, that have been slowly dying and you didn't notice? Probably your spouse noticed. Probably your kids noticed. Maybe your coworkers noticed. Something's going on there. But they don't know what it is. What's going on? What has been happening in me as well? What's been happening in me? Think about how Jesus confronts the Pharisees. Remember this? He says, uh, I'm so proud of you guys. He doesn't say I'm so proud. He says, you're tithing all the herbs in your garden. You're tithing dill, mint, and cumin. But you're ignoring justice and mercy. Now you think the Pharisees, how'd they think of themselves? They thought, we're amazing followers of God because we're even tithing the herbs in our garden. And Jesus is like, yeah, but like justice, mercy? You're not doing any of that stuff. What happened to them? To put them in a place where they, were, they felt really good and really secure about tithing their herbs, but not following the Lord's heart. Keep your finger in Isaiah 30, if you would, and turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2 and 3, a very powerful conclusion to the story of the Bible and the New Testament. The book of Revelation begins in chapters 2 and 3 with Jesus giving seven letters to seven churches. I want want you to just hear how he begins it and how he ends chapters 2 and 3 here. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So far, so good. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you've not grown weary. Great. But I have this against you. What? You abandon the love you had at first. Ouch. (laughs) Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Now look with me at the end of this section in chapter 3, verse 14, to the church of Laodicea. Let's pick up in verse 15. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, 
and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Sometimes we're not where we think we are. Sometimes things have happened in us and to us that we have not honored, that we have not been attentive to and we need to, we need to reflect on these things. But memory is tricky, isn't it? I think the primary function of memory in most of our lives is to hide important things from us so that we can, we can endure our days. When things are taking their ordinary course, it is hard to remember what matters. And that is in part why I'm taking a sabbatical. To admit the possibility that I'm not where I think I am. That just because the path is big and wide and obvious doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right one. When's the last time you admitted that perhaps where you are and what path you're on has not been right? The second aspect, the second thing involved in returning to the Lord is repenting. Repenting. Admitting that we're lost and then turning around. If we go back to Isaiah chapter 30, Verse 18, Isaiah 30, 18, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. The Lord, return, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. If you look at the end of the reading, from earlier, verse 20, verse 21 and 22, Your ears will hear the word of the teacher behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. And then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You'll scatter them as the unclean things they are and you will say to them, be gone. So returning to the Lord is an act of repentance. And repentance is not two motions, it's a single motion. I'm turning away from this and by virtue of turning away, I'm turning towards something else. Right, repentance, when I'm moving away, that's moving towards something else. And we're turning away from what our reflection revealed. I'm discovering now my idols. I'm discovering now errors in my life. I'm discovering dangerous things that are awaiting me if I keep going this way. And I want to turn from those things and I'm going to turn to Jesus. I'm going to turn to Jesus. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to us. The Lord, when we turn, he's right there. I want you to get that. You feel lost. You feel alone. You feel scared where you are. And you think, I'm going to turn to Jesus now, and he's going to be some way off that way, and i got a big, hard, long slog in front of me. But what does it say? It says the Lord waits for you. He's right there. You turn, and he's there. He is right next to you, waiting to be gracious to you. Whatever wrong path we took to get to the wrong place, as soon as we turn to Jesus, we're on the right path. And so you're you're in the right place. The right path is always wherever you are, if you're facing Jesus. And the right place is always wherever you are, if you're with Jesus. Are you willing to turn? If you look in chapter 30, verse 9, it says that there are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear. And in verse 15, After the returning rest, quietness, trust, it says, but you were unwilling. Are you willing? 
Are you willing to turn again to the Lord this morning? I think too much is made of the will in most Christian theology. People go on and on about free will and so forth and so on. But the will is a mechanism designed into our lives that God appeals to and says, will you submit yourself to me? Will you say, Lord, I am willing to leave where I'm at and to follow you afresh? That's a hard thing. That is a hard step. And it's important to say it. You can't just assume it. You have to say it. And it's interesting to me how we don't want to say it. We don't want to say, Lord, I'm willing to turn my life over to you. There's power in that. Repentance involves harnessing that power and turning our lives over to the Lord. The Christian life advances by a series of stops. A series of stops. We often find ourselves in places of being humbled. Places we don't necessarily want to be, but Jesus is always waiting for us right where we are. Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. And therefore, because the Lord says this, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. So let's just take a moment of quiet reflection and ask yourself, where am I at today in my relationship to the Lord, in my, in my life? Where am I at spiritually? And what should I do next? So let's just take a moment of quiet and then we'll, I'll pray. Where are you at spiritually today? And wherever that is, that's all right. But what are you going to do next? I hope that you will take some time this week to reflect on these, to begin reflecting on these questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the simple word of return, the simple invitation to your people to return again to the Lord Jesus, to you who wait to be gracious to us. And the moment you hear our cry, you answer. Lord, wherever we are, whatever path we've been on, I pray that you would speak to us, to lead us and guide us and draw us back to you, and that we would be willing, we would be willing to receive that invitation, willing to assess our situation, willing to be honest, to remember what's been going on, and to honor those things, and to turn our, our lives again afresh over to our Lord Jesus. I ask that you would do this work, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.